Welcome to the SBI Podcast, offering CEOs, sales and marketing leaders ideas to make the number. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Alexander, CEO and founder of Sales Benchmark Index, and welcome to the weekly podcast series. Today, we have a special guest, Stuart Kirst, who is the Vice President of Sales Operations at HP. Stuart has 20 years of experience helping to improve the productivity of sales teams within leading enterprise companies with stops at places such as HP, SAP, and he began his career at ADP, one of the great sales organizations in the world. Stuart also holds a degree in business in French from the University of San Diego. Stuart, give us a little French. (laughs) Bonjour, ça va? (laughs) Very good. So, Stuart, welcome to the show. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right. So, today's topic is how to improve sales productivity and specifically looking at the key measure of time. It's our perspective that salespeople have about 2,000 hours of available selling time, and that's a simple calculation, which is basically 40 hours a week times 50 weeks in a year. Now, sales teams might work more than 40 hours a week, and maybe they take more more than two weeks off a year, but it usually averages around 2,000 hours. So, Stuart, I know um, selling time versus non-selling time is something that you spent uh, quite a bit of your time on studying. So, share with the audience your point of view as to what the percentage of these 2,000 hours should be spent selling versus non-selling. Yeah, so Greg, we have done uh, a considerable amount of uh, work on this over the last few years within uh, Hewlett-Packard and trying to move more of our our salespeople towards a customer-facing time has been a pretty significant challenge for a variety of reasons. Uh, we find that the numbers vary around the globe by country, uh, by region. Uh, but for the most part, our teams were hovering around 55% uh, of their time at, uh, in customer facing. We'd like to move that upwards of 60 to 65% of their time in, in customer facing. Mm-hmm. And there were a few areas that uh, we, we targeted over the last few years to really uh, drive those numbers uh, in that direction. Uh, the first area that we obviously looked at was um, some of the, the sales operations uh, components, whether it's uh, quoting and configuring uh, product uh, and getting those, uh, those quotes out to customers, whether it was follow-up on uh, purchase orders and uh, customer status and how quickly we can get back out to customers, um, and whether or not it was uh, a lot of the admin work that salespeople do today to support uh, their relationships with their customers as well as the admin work that they have uh, internally around forecasting, planning, and uh, just general management with their managers. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about a 5 to 10% lift, which is what you're going after, and you multiply that across, uh, how many salespeople in the group? Within our enterprise group, uh, we've got about 10,000 customer-facing. Wow. So let's call that somewhere between 100 and 200 hours times 10,000 people. So it, it's a great case study in that even a small movement there could uh, yeah. have a huge impact on productivity. Yeah. You know, you mentioned several things, uh, configurations, following up and purchase orders, um, you know, post-sale support after the sale, et cetera. We kind of lump all those things into the category known as sales support. And the goal there is to, you know, make HP 
easier to sell for. Um, when you think about your sales teams and the work that you've done in this area, was was the fix mostly process work? Was the fix things like CPQ when it comes to quoting? What was the blend between process and technology automation? Between process and technology, it's, um, I think the two go very much hand in hand. Um, and I would say that we had, in some areas, we had pretty strong process on the sales operation side. We, we understood what the, the workflow of uh, the CPQ process was, and we needed to drive technology and automation into the process to truly um, move uh, the, the needle there. So as an example, over the last few years, we have gone through a, a radical um, change within our CPQ process so that we uh, have implemented uh, big machines. Uh, we've implemented technologies like Pros to allow us to do uh, pricing. Uh, we've allowed uh, built technology so that the um, salespeople uh, can do self-serve quoting without going through the sales operations organization. We've had to do work um, uh, throughout that entire workflow to uh, essentially drive a turnaround time uh, which was very poor from an industry perspective to now one of the, the, uh, the, the best-in-class turnarounds. Hmm. We uh, are really focusing on the set of opportunities that we manage today manually that uh, account for, let's call it, 60% of our uh, opportunities that are low-value low transactions. They're huge in numbers, but they don't generate the, the big numbers in terms of revenue. We're trying to push more and more of those to uh, self-service with our salespeople or even no-touch frictionless orders uh, through that process, quoting um, and the ordering process uh, into a frictionless motion so that we can eliminate upwards of 50 or 60% of the, uh, the transactions out there, mm. which allows, again, more time to be spent on the higher value, higher uh, uh, importance, more strategic opportunities. So there was a significant amount of work on technology, uh, I would say, around uh, CPQ. But then in the, the area of process, we had to do a lot of work uh, in terms of the way that we managed our internal uh, forecasting, pipeline management, one-on-ones uh, -on -ones with uh, all of the sales management around the globe. There was a lot of process work that we needed to focus on there. And now we're getting to the point of starting to think about the technologies that will support those, those process layers. Mm -hmm. So it's really a mixed bag when you think it through. Um, the, the sales operations was about trying to drive automation on some process that existed. And then um, on the, uh, the flip side, from a, a sales management perspective, we had to do some more diligence about are the processes that we have out there uh, working today and uh, what do we need to do to change? And then how do we automate those new processes that we put in place? Hmm. So let's let's talk a little bit uh, in greater depth regarding some of those use cases that you just mentioned. So we'll we'll talk uh, about configure price quote, and then we'll talk about the pros pricing optimization software. I'm particularly interested because obviously you have a massive sales organization with 10,000 people, but the added complexity here is you sell multi-tier distribution. So did you extend the CPQ functionality all the way through your channels? That is the intent. We haven't gotten there yet. Okay. But the, the expectation is that we do uh, build a solution that works uh, both for the internal team as well as our, our partners, uh, as our partners are an extension of our organization. Right. 
Uh, it is, it's an ongoing, I mean, this has been a three-year project for us, okay. and we're still in the middle of, uh, of driving that, that uh, to fruition, but that is the, uh, the long-term intent. Yep, okay. And then same thing on the, uh, on the pros pricing software, or is that happened already? So the, uh, the, the pros pricing software is mainly internal okay. uh, at this point in time, but it is obviously, it's giving us the guidance that we need to use to really get to the right market price faster. What we are finding is we were going back and forth on pricing, uh, especially with partners. Um, and oftentimes we are at a starting point, we'd go back and forth three, four, five, six iterations of pricing to eventually get to the, the right market price. Uh, with the pros software, able to get to that market price much more quickly and, and find um, that we can turn around our, our quotes with our partners, especially um, in, in a way that we just haven't historically. It's led to an increase in the number of quotes that we're seeing from uh, our partners, uh, as well as a, uh, an overall uh, positive impact in both revenue and margin. Yeah. I mean, that's a great success story. I mean, I know IT customers, IT decision makers, when they ask for a quote, it, they get frustrated when it takes too long to produce a quote. So anything you can do, which it sounds like you've done a lot to reduce that time, um, not only is it beneficial to you in revenue and margin, but it you know also improves customer satisfaction as well as channel satisfaction. So that's, that's actually a great story. It really is. And what's interesting about that, Greg, is that there's a secondary component here. Not only are you seeing the faster turnaround, therefore you're seeing partner satisfaction increase, but when... A partner has a, a pretty poor experience with you as a vendor, and it takes four or five iterations to get through a, uh, a cycle versus your competitor who can turn it around in one or two iterations. They stop quoting you. Yeah. They stop thinking about you. They know that it's going to be a, a problem and a hassle to, to transact with you. So they, they uh, oftentimes will try to find a, an alternative solution. So there's business that you don't even realize you're losing because it's not even coming your way. Yeah. So as we've uh, implemented the pro solution, we've started to see those volumes increase. We've started to see partners that uh, hadn't been, uh, had not been quoting uh, us now start to quote us and, and really start to uh, increase those volumes again. Yeah. I mean, the challenge of selling through a channel is channel mindshare, right? And Exactly right. If you uh, if you're easier to do business with than the bad guys, so to speak, um, you'll increase your mind share. So that that's a great success story. It is, and there was you know there there was a massive team that worked here within HP uh, to really pull that off. I'd love to take credit for it, but again, that was uh, part of the sales operations team. It was our sales comp operations team. There were people at the global level. They've been working on it for a few years, and we've seen the fruits of the labor this year. Yeah. All right, we're talking with Stuart Kirst, Vice President of Sales Operations for the Enterprise Group at HP. Um, we're going to take a quick break here. The team wants to make the audience aware of a new piece of content we have available to them. And when we come back with Stuart, we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about this um, uh, sales productivity issue and increasing the uh, customer face time. We'll be back in a moment. Each day, you receive hundreds of emails, tons of text messages, countless telephone calls, and sit in too many meetings. How do you find ideas to make the number with all this noise? The SBI blog filters all this nonsense for you and presents only first-rate ideas to make the number. Simplify your life. Subscribe to one blog and read the best content. Go to salesbenchmarkindex.com and subscribe today. Welcome back, everybody. This is Greg Alexander with Sales Benchmark Index. You're listening to the SBI Weekly Podcast Series, and today's guest is Stuart Kirst. 
who leads sales operations for Hewlett Packard. And prior to the break, um, Stuart and I were discussing um, how to increase channel mindshare by reducing the amount of time it takes to turn around a quote. And he was uh, giving credit to the sales operations team and letting us know that this was a three-year project and it's no easy feat. Um, Stuart, I know you've been with the company for a while, so you might have an answer to this question. If you don't, no big deal. But you know, somebody at some point identified this as a problem, and then somebody at some point or a team of people determined that this was a problem worthy of solving. So, how was the uh, you know the quote turnaround time identified as an issue in the first place? Yeah, it's a it's a good question because obviously there's a list of priorities longer than my arm um, <laughs> that that we have to solve here. We do uh, customer uh, or customer service um, surveys, if you will, um, to our salespeople every year, mm-hmm. and we do that from a sales operations perspective. Uh, and we look out across the the globe and ask them for a time study as well as uh, what are the areas of of concern within. Uh, the business and where where are they seeing the benefit and where do they see that we have room to improve. The time study uh, is something that we've done for years and it gives us visibility into that original um, customer facing time uh, point that you made uh, originally. And what we found over the course of uh, the, the few years is that we were as we were making tweaks to things like customer uh, or excuse me um, CPQ, we were not having the impact on driving the 5 or 10% improvement that we wanted to see in customer-facing time. And so the, the organization really made a big bet around CPQ and said, we're going to drive a much uh, more advanced uh, process and technology behind it. But it, it really starts from that annual process where we do essentially that customer satisfaction review with our salespeople. Mm-hmm. Where are you spending your time? How are you spending your time? Uh, and then what are the technologies that are supporting you in the field? Hmm. So I think about the daunting task of surveying 10,000 salespeople. Um, were the salespeople willing to respond? What were your response rates like? How long was the survey? Talk to the audience a little bit about that annual survey process. Yeah, I think that the survey process occurs, uh, as I said, once per year. And I think our response rates are around 50 or 55%. Wow. I have not owned this. Um, uh, historically, uh, I obviously is in my prior role as the, the vice president of sales strategy and, and field operations for APJ, I was on the receiving end of it and I pushed our teams to, uh, try to respond as much as we could so that we could get the insight on the global level. I think our numbers were 50 to 55% uh, response. Hmm. Uh, and what we are really looking for from them is to, to tell us where are you spending your time? A lot of our time in our salespeople is spent on forecasting, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And this is one of our top priorities as we, uh, we move forward. How do we start to eliminate the work around forecasting for our salespeople? And what can we do not only from a process perspective, but what can we do from an automation perspective so that you can have really a seamless view from the sales rep all the way through um, the, the country MD and then into the region and then into uh, the global view. Hmm. A lot of the work that we've done around uh, Salesforce implementation, as you know, we implemented Salesforce uh, two years ago. That uh, That's allowing us to drive much more automation through that, that process, which will have a huge impact on customer-facing time. Yeah. So rolling out Salesforce.com across 10,000 reps, that must have been a, uh, a huge initiative. What's the adoption rate there? How's that going? It actually has gone extremely well. Um, 
we had uh, we are the largest single instance of Salesforce uh, in in the world. Wow. Uh, the uh, the launch took place over about a, a 12 month period, uh, and we rolled it out to the entire uh, Hewlett Packard uh, organization. I think we had 29,000 people mm-hmm. in uh, in Salesforce. Um, if my numbers, if I remember the uh, the original numbers, that's not just on the the enterprise side, obviously. Right. Um, when we look at the, the use of Salesforce, we see a considerable increase from where we were uh, within Siebel, uh, and we find that the, the sales reps, um, we have about a 90% utilization rate, 87%, I think is the last number I saw around utilization, which is up dramatically from our prior system, which is very, very good. Uh, and then our sales managers, a little bit lower than that. Um, but uh, it's still uh, in the, uh, I want to say, in the, the low 80 range in terms of utilization. Uh, what we're starting to really look at now are the nuances with uh, how the teams utilize Salesforce. And as you start to think about things like uh, uh, team orientation and um, teamwork across the, the multiple business units that we have within each of our business groups, and then the work across business groups from an account team perspective, those are the nuances, and that's the gain that we're trying to get from Salesforce now. Mm. So, for example, when you do an account plan, um, your account plan, let me, I'll break down the Hewlett Packard structure for a minute. You've got, within the enterprise side, I have the enterprise services team, I have the uh, enterprise group, I have um, a software organization, and I have financial services team. Uh, that is the, uh, the the new entity for Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Within each of those groups, I could do an account plan for the enterprise services team. I could do an account plan for the enterprise group. I could do an account plan for uh, software uh, and cloud uh, and for financial services. Or I could do an account plan across the customer for all four of those business groups. What we found historically is that we've been doing account plans for the business units inside each of our business groups, and then we've been trying to uh, align the business groups so that we have a single uh, account plan uh, across the organization, but it's not as cohesive as we'd like it to be. Mm. Uh, Through the use of Salesforce and through some of the other technologies out there, we're starting to broaden our approach to account planning so we have a single customer uh, view and we have a, a, a much broader appreciation of how to impact the customer from a business outcome perspective, customer uh, business outcome, and what are the HP solutions across that enterprise organization that are going to help our customer achieve their goals around risk or driving agility or improving their employee experience or their customer experience or, or driving growth in their business. And so it's uh, the use of some of those tools that uh, if you had to do it historically without uh, a Salesforce.com implemented, it would take way too much non-customer-facing time to pull that together. But now through the use of the technology, we're able to achieve uh, much greater progress in an area like account planning uh, without burdening our sales teams with incremental time uh, in the field or away from the field. You know, and especially for an organization like yours, who probably has, you know, global account teams, you know, now you have one account plan in the cloud, visible to everybody, I'm sure that has increased collaboration amongst the different, um, you know, HP representation for a single customer across, you know, multiple continents. It is. You know, and that's really what it's all about. 
yeah. right? If I can allow an account uh, or if I can enable an account team to really coordinate on a, a single strategy within a, a customer, it not only drives a significant amount of efficiency and effectiveness of that account team, but it also allows the customer a much improved experience from HP because they're not hearing five different strategies from five different business groups with five different selling motions. Mm. They're instead hearing common messaging from us on a global scale. Yeah. So I hope everybody listening is inspired by Stuart's uh, story here. I mean, I, I hear often from our clients that they're frustrated with the level of adoption uh, that they've gotten from the field in terms of using Salesforce.com. So here's you know the largest technology company in the world with 10,000 salespeople, the largest single instance of Salesforce.com, and you know and they're getting great adoption rates. And the reason why that is is that there's real value add in the tool. I mean, just think about that one example, and I'm sure there's several others on how the customer is benefiting from this technology because the account teams spread across the globe are now collaborating, and they're all. Uh, talking the same language to the customer, making sure they're focused on, you know, the customer's issues regardless of where they're located. So that's a fantastic story. Okay, we're going to... I guess, sorry, I was just going to add one other point on that. And there, you had the ability when you roll out Salesforce to roll it out as exactly the, the old CRM that you had, right? You, you really don't have to make a change to your process. You can you can leverage Salesforce the same way that you levered leverage your, your old system, and really get no impact and no gain from, from the transformation. Mm-hmm. But in what we found is there, there are specific areas that we wanted to focus on to drive some of that integration, that, that cross-team collaboration that we needed to get out of Salesforce. And by focusing on those areas, we were able to see gains. Mm-hmm. But just through the implementation, you're not going to see the gain. It's about ensuring that you understand the process that you want to impact uh, and leverage the the tool to be able to deliver that process. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, why bother unless you're going to get right. some new capability, right? So that's a great point. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. Um, we have um, an offer we would like to present to the audience, something that podcast listeners will get some value out of. So we'll be back with Stuart Kirst from Hewlett Packard in a moment. Why is it that senior executives, CEOs, CFOs have magazines focused on their success? but sales and marketing leaders don't. General business magazines such as Fortune and Forbes almost never write about sales and marketing issues. At SBI, we know sales and marketing leaders have needs that have gone unmet until now. Introducing the SBI Magazine, the premier magazine dedicated to helping sales and marketing leaders be more successful. Read captivating articles written by professional journalists about how sales and marketing leaders are making the number. Go to salesbenchmarkindex.com and subscribe. Welcome back, everybody. This is Greg Alexander with Sales Benchmark Index. We're on our weekly podcast series with today's guest, Stuart Kirst, Vice President of Sales Operations at the Enterprise Group within Hewlett Packard. And we've been talking about this issue of sales productivity, of which Stuart has 20 years uh, helping sales teams improve their rate of productivity across some of the largest enterprise customers in the world. And we were just discussing, um, you know, some success stories with things like uh, configured price quote, price optimization, account planning automated through uh, Salesforce Automation and Salesforce.com. I'd like to, to switch the conversation now to there's so many things that you've done that has made it easier to sell for HP. But, you know, based on my knowledge of what you've been working on, you've also made even more progress in making HP easier to do business with from a customer's perspective. 
So when you did your productivity analysis and you looked to do something like increase customer FaceTime, part of that analysis I'm imagining, although I don't want to put words in your mouth, is that you thought about it from the customer's perspective and how easy or difficult you were to do business with. Is that true? And if so, what did you find? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the experience that our customers were getting um, from HP a few years ago, there were a couple of that stand out in my mind. One of the common complaints that we got was uh, we have been selling literally as multiple companies inside of Hewlett Packard. Mm. And so we would get from our CIOs, here are the 55 business cards that I've received from your team in the last 12 months. <laughs> Right, and and there's you have too many people coming to see me, and nobody, the the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. There are a lot of uh, customer concerns around our ability to coordinate uh, across the organization, and so we've spent a lot of time working on that. We've done a lot of work, uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, about account planning um, and trying to coordinate across the organization. We actually launched a pilot last year to start a, a one HP um, organization where. We looked at um, six accounts or so on a global scale, and uh, what is the – because HP is so large, it's not as easy as saying, let's put an AGM across all of your, your top 250 accounts, mm -hmm. and let's run it as a, as a single organization. Because of the breadth and depth and the scope of the Hewlett-Packard organization, um, uh, we really had to think through what the pilot would look like, how would those organizations run, how would you manage an account team of that size, what does the, the org construct of the sales organization um, need to look like so that you can not only be able to, from a customer-facing perspective, have a real positive impact with them, but you also have to have the, the insight um, uh, internally to be able to deliver a value to your customer mm -hmm. across the products and services that, that you are selling. So it was a complex problem. So we've spent a lot of time uh, over the last few years really working on, on that issue. And I think you'll see uh, HP make some inroads in that uh, this year and next. Mm -hmm. In fact, as we separate the organization this year on November 1 of uh, uh, FY15, we obviously will be two organizations, Hewlett Packard Enterprise and HP Inc. And that will obviously uh, help uh, us really focus on uh, the way that we sell and the products and services that, that we sell um, in each of those entities. Mm. So that's uh, one, one key area that our customers were coming back to. The other area that uh, our customers were, were coming back and, and asking us uh, for a bit more support was really around that CPQ area mm -hmm. and uh, our ability to uh, deliver information to them, um, uh, products, services, uh, quotations across the organization much more effectively. Uh, as we looked at selling, let's say the enterprise services team is selling a, uh, uh, an or a, uh, a solution across the enterprise group, across the software organization, including uh, products and services from our PC uh, division. It, the, the coordination of all of those entities cross, uh, cross company uh, it was a burden, and it took far too long for us to be able to produce those quotes and, and get that information out to our customers in a timely fashion. Mm -hmm. So we spent a lot of uh, time and, and cycles on CPQ on how do we start to uh, drive those processes and improve those processes so that our customers see a solution from HP. They don't see products and services from each of the entities within HP. Yeah. You know, I have some positive anecdotal feedback for you. Um, you know, in our practice, 
we deploy what's known as mystery shopping. So many of our clients sell technology solutions to global CIOs. And, you know, we'll pose as a, uh, you know, as a vendor, if you will, or in some cases as a prospect. And, and as a result of that, witness firsthand, you know, kind of what the uh, customer experience is. And that oftentimes includes us speaking directly with CIO, CIOs about, you know, who's doing better and who's not doing better, et cetera. And I have heard, you know, within the last, uh, I don't know, 90 days, and again, this is a small sample size, but for what it's worth, that um, you've become easier to do business with, you know, more responsive. Um, one CIO in particular who I won't mention their name because I didn't ask their permission, mentioned that, you know, in in times past, if they wanted a, you know, non-standard configuration, it was like getting a law passed through Congress. Congress. And uh, now it's not the case. I mean, obviously you're not, you know, uh, irresponsible in that regard, but you're willing to listen and in many cases approve these non-standard configurations. Is that true? It is. I, I think it's, um, what I would say, I, I can't mention, or I, I, yeah. I can't speak directly for the non-standard configurations, but I, what, what I can say is there's a concerted effort around uh, improving the, the, the customer experience. And we've got focus across our business units. We've got focus across our, our functional teams to really find those ways that we just aren't an, a, an effective partner with our customers. And what do we need to do to improve the experience of the customer? Because we have a portfolio that is second to none. Yeah. Uh, we have a breadth and depth that is second to none. And it's not a competitive advantage if the customers can't take advantage of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think Meg has brought a lot of focus into the organization on this. Uh, and she, she's put the right leadership team in place that is, has uh, really come together to say, we know that our strength is not as individual entities, but our strength is as an organization. And therefore, it's put a lot of pressure on teams like mine and, and the sales operations organization to um, think about ways that we can impact both partner and customer uh, experience in a positive way. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. We've got one more segment here. And after the break, uh, Stuart and I are going to talk about um, how to get all these things done as a leader of sales ops and still have a life. <laughs> so we'll be back right after the break. You need to make your numbers, and you want to hear how others are making theirs. You go online to find out what your peers are doing, but can only find sales consultants selling you. Sound familiar? Then the SBI podcast is for you. Each week, hear directly from a peer how they are making the numbers. Go to iTunes, search for Sales Benchmark Index Podcast, and subscribe today. Okay, welcome back, everybody. This is Greg Alexander with SBI. We're on our weekly podcast series. Today's guest is Stuart Kirst, Vice President of Sales Operations at HP, and we're talking about improving uh, sales productivity. Uh, in this last segment, Stuart, um, you know, you mentioned earlier in the interview that you have a to-do list longer than your arm, and you know that's pretty common in most uh, sales ops. Uh, you know, environments. And up to this point, we've been discussing improving the productivity of sales teams. What I'd like to talk about now is improving the productivity of sales ops teams. So how do you get everything done? When I, when I find the answer for that, I will be a very wealthy man. <laughs> it's a tough I question. What it comes, you know, it's, the, I, I took a global position about uh, uh, eight or nine months ago um, as I came back from Asia. And what I found, uh, the delta between uh, working in the country, working in the region, and then working at the global level, is 
that your, your focus and your priorities have got to be very much aligned. Um, number one, you can't do everything. Right. It just isn't possible. And I think we, uh, as a, well, I'll speak for myself, we've tried to take on too much. Mm-hmm. We've tried to have too many areas of impact. Uh, and in an organization of this size, the organization can't consume everything that you can uh, deliver. And so, therefore, you actually don't get the productivity gains from the organization, right. and your team uh, tends to be uh, splintered across too many areas of focus, and they may produce mediocre resor- results because they're, they're splintered across so many uh, initiatives. And uh, ultimately, those initiatives can't get consumed by the organization, so you don't win anyway. So what I've come back to is really trying to focus the organization in three or four areas that we're going to have an impact uh, and doubling down the resources in those areas to um, deliver the results. Now, those three or four areas of focus have got to be aligned with what the regions are able to consume and what the countries are are able to execute. Uh, And therefore, if you can drive that alignment between uh, the global, the region, and the country team, you can actually start to improve the, the productivity of not only your global sales teams or sales operations groups that are, that are driving these initiatives, but you can also see the, the actual impact and execution occurring in the field. Mm-hmm. And the field doesn't feel like it's just a barrage of changes that are coming at them from the, the global organization. You know, I'm, I'm listening to your talk in global country country region leaders picking three or four things that everybody can consume because only so many there's only so many initiatives an organization can take on at one time even for a company like yours it has vast resources but i gotta tell you i um there's some people who are going to be listening to this that might call bs on that and here's what they would say because i've had this debate and i agree with your philosophy is they have internal customers and their internal customers have to be satisfied or sales ops earns a bad reputation so as a result of that, they say yes to everything. So, right. I mean, how do you say no without uh, destroying your political capital? Um, <laughs> I, I would say the, the, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. And if you look at the number of initiatives, because we have initiatives that start at the country level, right? If I'm an MD of a country, there are certain ways that I want to manage my business, and therefore I have my team start those initiatives. I want to change X, Y, and Z about our operating cadence, for example. At the regional level, the, uh, the managing director of the region says, hey, you know, there are, there are things that we need to do to drive improved customer set or focus on a certain customer segment or, or drive a, a, a different approach to the market. And then there are initiatives that start at the global level, and they start from your business units and your business groups, And so, ultimately, there's not three or four initiatives that are being driven globally, but there's 110 initiatives that are country, regional, and global uh, in in nature. And so, when when I look through the list of requests that we're getting uh, and the the requests that the country teams, the regional teams, and the global teams are demanding, a lot of them sync together. A lot of them, they're, they're the same request. It's just with a nuance of country, region, or, uh, or global team. And so trying to align what those requests are and coming out with a common strategy is a, is a good way to do it. Now, ultimately, you're going to have to say no. You're going to have to say, uh, just as in any IT plan of, plan of record process, you've got to be able to uh, put together the laundry list of those activities that people are asking for and what is the true impact to the business. Uh, what is the risk of doing that? 
what is the implementation cost of doing it, and what is the financial ROI of doing that that uh, that uh, initiative. Yeah. And if those three sync up, and you can say yes, we as an organization can consume this, then uh, we would go down and and. Uh, work to initiate that uh, that that plan. Yeah. But if it doesn't meet the criteria, then we push back and say, "Listen, you know, for whatever reason, one one of the three that I just uh, detailed, we're not going to do it." Yeah. And if that makes me have, uh, it makes me lose political capital, then so be you know, it. I'm going to lose political capital. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, our perspective on this, and and we'll conclude with this because we're up in our time allotment here. Is you know, we we look at initiatives through three lenses. So first is what's the size of the price. So if we're going to put forth effort on this, which could be a multi-year investment, you know, if we're successful, is it worth it? Second is, what's the level of effort? You know, we're going to have to hire a thousand people to pull us off, or is this something that, you know, a normal group of individuals can pull off? And then third is, what's the probability of success? So given my environment, my competitive landscape, the maturity of my sales organization, the the, the state that my company's in, you know, can I actually do this? So these things have to be put into the proper context. And and when you use Stuart's screening criteria or if you use ours or a combination of the two, that's a good way to, you know, build a, a list of items and, and, and have, when you do say no, at least have a logical answer as to why you're saying no. So listen, that's Stuart, exactly. as always, right. you were great. Um, you are uh, a leader in the sales operations field. You're pioneering many, many things. Um, you were inspirational today, especially in the area of Salesforce.com implementation and account planning and optimizing time. Um, so really appreciate you jumping on the podcast today and sharing your wisdoms with others. And I think some people's careers will be enhanced as a result. So thanks again. Greg, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Okay, take care. This has been the SBI Podcast. For more information on SBI services, case studies, the SBI team and how we work, or to subscribe to our other offerings, please visit us at salesbenchmarkindex.com.